An internet outage at CN triggers a massive outage of commuter trains in Toronto. A small librarian unit strike is ended by a judge who pushes them into binding arbitration. Pacey Dumas loses his criminal case against the police officer who kicked him in the head. Spain's socialist leader Pedro Sanchez has until the end of November to make a government and India cracks down on independent media. Good morning. It's Wednesday, October 4th. I'm Nora, and here are your headlines. First, we start with news yesterday about a massive outage across the Greater Toronto Commuter Rail Line that stopped thousands of people from traveling. Service was knocked out by a, quote, network-wide system failure affecting all corridors, unquote, reports an unbylined article from CBC News. The failure impacted all of Metrolink's networks, including the Up Express and Via Rail service. Trains held at their stations and everyone was stranded. Buses were brought in and passengers were encouraged to wait until evening to travel. This story was written with files from Reuters and contains surprisingly little information about what the issue was with CN. All that we get is that there was a, quote, internet connectivity issue, unquote, and that it was not likely a cybersecurity problem. Thousands of people stranded missed flights, late kid pickups, missed meetings and appointments, all because a private company had an internet issue? And that's all CBC reports? Did they press CN for more information or did they just stick with CN's statement? The article also doesn't explore the problem with CN controlling so much of the tracks in southern Ontario and just how dangerous it is for public transit to be at the whim of a private company like CN. It reminds me of the day-long Rogers outbreak, except there more people were affected and Rogers got more attention. There is one big difference, though. You might struggle to check something online or call someone when the Rogers network goes down, but you can always look for someone who has a phone if you need to use one in an emergency. What's the option when CN strands an entire commuter network in the largest region in Canada? The answer you'll find tomorrow, and it will likely be nothing because no one holds a company as big as CN to account when it matters. Next, 34 library workers in Bradford, Ontario, are being forced into binding arbitration. The striking workers have been on strike since July 21. They were trying to bargain their first collective agreement. The workers are members of CUPE Local 905. Management, represented by library CEO Matthew Corbett, pushed for binding arbitration after just over a month of the workers being on strike. That means that rather than negotiating with the workers, he has applied for a judge to make the final decision on the outstanding contract. And a judge has agreed. What works very much in Corbett's favor is that during this process, the workers will be forced back to work during binding arbitration. Bradford Today's Michael Owen tried to get the Ministry of Labour to say how often it is that a first contract would be sent to binding arbitration or identify the last time this has happened, and the ministry couldn't answer. The main issue that has kept the workers out has been wages. They are asking for a wage increase of $1.35 per hour over two years. I don't know what that translates to in terms of a percentage increase, but that amounts to an increase of $2,808 for a worker who works 40 hours per week all year round. A judge criticized the union's refusal to accept a lower wage over the course of negotiations. QP905 President Catherine Grzeszak Catherine, I'm so sorry, I've never asked how to pronounce your name, 
said this about the decision to send the negotiations to binding arbitration. Quote, I don't think this decision was fair. I don't think it was just. I think that without the ability to withdraw our labor to improve our working conditions, including wages, workers don't have any recourse to better the working conditions. Now to the story of Pacey Duma, a man who was kicked in the head by an Edmonton police officer when he was just 18 years old. Duma is a member of the Little Red River Cree Nation, and the blow gave him a serious brain injury. Duma spent time in the ICU and had to have part of his skull removed to reduce pressure. The Alberta Crown Prosecution Service refused to pursue charges against the officer, Ben Todd. ACERT found that Todd's behavior showed, quote, a shocking lack of judgment and disregard, unquote, for Dumas's life, and recommended that the Crown charge Todd with excessive force charges. But the Crown didn't charge Todd. They decided not to. With few options left to him, Dumas tried to prosecute Todd independent of the Crown. Normally, the Crown is the body to look at the evidence and determine whether or not there is enough evidence that a conviction is possible. CBC's Wallace Snowden called this maneuver chosen by Dumas and his lawyer a, quote, rarely used legal tactic, unquote, to try and get a judge to hear the case regardless of the Crown's decision to not lay charges. But the Crown still has the power to intervene, and in this case, they have. They stopped the process dead in its tracks before it could go to a judge for a pretrial hearing, killing the small hope that Dumas would see justice. The prosecution service argued that the case had to be stopped because a conviction was unlikely. They said that the details were disturbing and their decision should not be seen as an endorsement of what Ben Todd did to Dumas. But the prosecution service determined that because the criminal code allows cops to use, quote, as much force is necessary so long as it is not excessive, unquote, it would be extremely difficult to prove that booting a teenager in the head causing a brain injury was, quote unquote, excessive. When this all happened, Dumas was on the ground, on his stomach, when he was kicked by Ben Todd. He was never charged that night. His lawyer made this statement, quote, It is beyond comprehension that a case of such extreme violence by police action will not be subject to any form of public accountability or transparency. The Dumas family has also filed a civil case against Todd and the Edmonton police. I'll just say this. It's so enraging. This is such an enraging story. Like, sorry, we can't prosecute police violence because they're allowed to be very violent. Just not excessively violent, but we won't give you the chance to try the evidence to see if what happened was excessive. Sorry, this is how police violence is upheld in Canada, thanks to legal definitions and judgment calls and decisions made by mostly white people who identify more with the police than they do with the person who the police brutalize. Next to Spain, where Pedro Sanchez has been given until November 27th to try and form government. Sanchez is the leader of the Socialist Party and has been given the shot right after the right-wing People's Party failed to form a government. In July, the People's Party won the general elections, but they didn't win enough seats to actually take office. King Felipe has now formally nominated Sanchez to try to form government. If he can't do it, Spain will have a sixth election in nine years. One of the key issues is how Sanchez will orient towards Catalan activists. The pro-independence parties want Sanchez to give amnesty to Catalan activists who were charged after trying to create an independent Catalan in 2017. More than 40,000 people demonstrated in Madrid just nine days ago against the idea of dropping charges against Catalan activists. And finally, police in New Delhi raided the office and homes of journalists and writers connected to the national daily news outlet, the Indian Express. Reuters is reporting that it was part of an investigation into, quote, suspected illegal foreign funding of the media company, unquote. 
The editor-in-chief of the Indian Express said that the founder and editor-in-chief and a journalist of the news portal called NewsClick were both arrested. Prabir Parakiyesta and Amit Chakravarti were both arrested. Police questioned and searched an additional 46 journalists and seized laptops and cell phones. The charge is that money is being laundered through NewsClick. Back in August, the New York Times named NewsClick as being part of a, quote, global network, unquote, that is getting money from American billionaire Neville Roy Singham to publish Chinese propaganda. NewsClick calls itself independent, critical journalism. They are reader-funded, and they write about progressive movements, reports Reuters. The articles didn't look to me like they were particularly pro-China, though I don't really have an ability to assess that in terms of Indian politics. But the first article at the opinion section is about the relationship between India and Canada, and it's basically just a list of various indicators that show the relationship between the two countries. Like Canada is the fourth largest source of foreign tourists in India, the top export from India to Canada is pharmaceutical products, and Canada's top exports to India are fuels, oils, and waxes. I really suggest you check out this article, actually. It's quite fascinating because it goes through many, many more statistics between the two countries than just those. The coalition of opposition political parties called the India Alliance condemned the raids. Those are your headlines for Wednesday, October 4th. And folks, okay, here's the truth. I'm on the road again today. So I'm recording this the night before. Polls have just closed in Manitoba. So I cannot tell you who the winner is. I'd hoped that at Four minutes after polls closing, I would be able to, but I got to go to bed. I can't stay up for this. I got an early morning flight. I'm sure it'll be easy enough for you to find, and here's hoping for a good result. You're listening to this podcast at sandynor.com on the Real News Network podcast feed and wherever you get your podcasts. I hope you have a wonderful Wednesday. 